I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Happy people are more productive. Happy people are nice to be around. If you have people that are nice to be around, you're going to attract the best people. You cannot dial it out of a business because you'll just dial any joy and an actual talent. The, the coolest people will want to succeed. And if there's no joy or humor in an environment, they'll migrate to somewhere where there is. So I would say the business case for humor is overwhelming. Welcome to the Humorology podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and comedy who are going to share their wisdom and their use of humour with you. Humorology is the study of how humour can dramatically improve your business and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is an award-winning author, TV presenter, keynote speaker, performance coach and former rally champion who is now a leading authority on mental toughness. She was the first and only woman to drive a world rally car. However, her life hasn't always been a smooth ride. As a child, she saw alcoholism and mental illness destroy her family. Fleeing home at 14, homeless and fending for herself on the London streets, her life couldn't have been more dangerous or bleak. Yet an inner strength and self-belief enabled her to take control of her future and fill it with fun. She has perfected the art of psychologically powered performance and peppered it with a plethora of pranks. Penny Mallory, welcome to the Humorology <laughs> Podcast. Oh, Paul, I've never had an intro like that. That's so cute. Oh, well, we we love alliteration here on the Humorology Podcast, Penny. Podcast Penny. There you go. I, well, I love alliteration. Absolutely. Yes. You keep, keep going with that theme, by all means. <laughs> well, we're here to have some fun, but I'd like to start with a question because you've been very candid about your tough start in life and uh, being leaving home at 14 and living on the streets and in hostels. Did humour help you through that time or has it subsequently helped you <laughs> come to terms with it? 
I didn't actually spend any time on the streets. I have to say I was just, I went straight to hostels. But no, I totally lost myself the sense of humour at that time in my life. Nothing was funny as far as I remember. I've had to learn learn to laugh, I suppose, learn to find the funny stuff. It was all a bit serious and a bit heavy back in those days, if I'm honest. So you, you're implying that it actually has helped since when you, you can look back and see the funny side of it now, can you? Well, I'm not sure that there was a particularly funny side to what was happening at the time. I suppose yeah. I'm still struggling to see that, but I can certainly look at life generally with more humour. It, it, it was, it felt serious at the time. It felt bleak and it, I, I absolutely don't remember laughing very much at that time because I, I mean, I sounds really dramatic and I really don't mean it to be, I don't want to over-dramatise this, but I, obviously I, every day I thought, how do I eat today? How do I stay alive today? So th there wasn't much joy in that. There wasn't much humour in that. But I can, I've had the most amazing life and I can look back at every point now and laugh about it, or laugh about it, but I don't think I could laugh while I was in it. Yeah, but, uh, but in order to get over things, I think sometimes uh, a sense of humour can rationalise it or put a different perspective on it, don't you think? Oh, always. I know that now because I grew up <laughs> and I got old and I got wiser like we all do. But I don't think that I recognised the value of humour back then. So uh, what, what do you think the turning point was to actually recognising it? I don't know the answer to that question, because I've always been quite a serious person, always sort of preoccupied by stuff and taking life probably a bit too seriously. So the fact that I'm doing this podcast is brilliant because it's going to make me really think about all the, the, the funny stuff and actually that I, I'm probably not that serious, really. I've just had a bit of a serious outlook because of stuff that's gone on. But I'm not sure that there was a point in time when it changed, but certainly my life got more relaxed. I was more able to laugh. Well, I suppose when I got in a rally car, to be honest, it's the first time I ever was properly happy when I got in a rally car. So that was in my 20s, early 20s. So, yeah, the first 20 years were a bit, bit too serious, probably. So what was it about getting in a rally car that actually made that shift for you? Oh, it, it was, I'm going to get carried away at this point because it's like Good. it was yesterday. I, I turned up at this rally school. I was on my knees. You know, I, I had nothing going for me at the time, but I, this dream in my head since I was six, I wanted to drive. And I got, got into a rally car and, and I had the funniest day I've ever had in my life. I smiled more. I felt more at home. I felt comfortable. I thought this is where I belong. The smell of the, the mud on a hot exhaust, the, the, the sound, everything for the first time in my entire life made me feel so happy. And probably you saw a smile on my face that day bigger than you had done for the previous 20 years. So it was everything about just feeling like I belonged, that I'd found my thing. That, that gave me so much happiness. But had you also found your tribe with people as well? I hadn't at that point because it was it's literally a day at a rally school. You meant, to, like, you, anyone can book it. You meant to go, have a lot of fun and go home and get on with your life. But I went and thought, this is this is everything. So all I, all I met was the instructor, who to this very day is a good friend, by the way. So he has reappeared in my life in various forms, various jobs that I've done and places I've been. He's always been there, weirdly. So, yes, it was the start of building a tribe. 
where I felt I could belong, but it was the environment that I felt that I could belong because I'd had such a weird 20 years leading up to that. And, and I'm a prolific house mover. I move every year or two. So I've moved 50 odd times. And so finding a place where I belong is really important as well as the people, of course, the people are always what brings the joy to any situation. But because I've been a traveler in a sense, just I can't put roots down. And that all goes back to the childhood thing. Finding an environment where I felt comfortable was enormously important to me. Can you pinpoint for us but what actually was going on inside you at the time? I, I'm intrigued because I can see your face and if our listeners are just listening, they won't see it. But your face actually lights up when you just think about rally cars. And I that's in, in psychological terms, we call that an anchor, whereby I can say the word rally to you and, and you will change state. It absolutely is true. I'm so glad you've noticed it because I can feel it. That's why I said to you, careful, because I'm going to get carried away, because I know when I start talking about it, I enter a different zone, a different place. So I'm very conscious that, you know, I love talking about it because it makes me feel happy. So, yeah, talking about and being around cars, you know, if I if if I smell mud on a hot exhaust, it takes me back you know how you know all of our senses just sort of smells and tastes and all that kind of stuff just sends you back to times and places it's exactly the same for me but it was it was the most exciting time of my life the most thrilling the most challenging in a funny way the hardest because I wanted it so bad but I couldn't I was never going to make it happen it was impossible it represents the start of something amazing that happened to me really it really was the start of a new life and and the fun that you went on to to, to have yes and just like a lot of things in life you don't realize what you got till it's gone I hadn't realized till my and so I drove for eight years I didn't realize really until the end of it what an extraordinary thing I'd had because when you're in it you're so consumed by keeping it going and doing what you can you're sort of in the moment with it and then when you when it leaves you or you leave it you look back and you think oh my god I didn't even quite realize what was going on it was so fantastic and so much fun so much fun but you know anything any sport is incredibly demanding and stressful and disappointing and amazing it's, it's such a mixture of everything I hadn't been prepared for any of that when I got into a rally car at the rally school. I was completely unprepared for what was about to unfold. I just had the best time, honestly. It was amazing. Now, when you, because you have written books, you do courses all over the world, you you instruct people on world-class thinking. I, I know that having read world-class thinking, you dispel the myth that elite performers are special. What qualities uh, do you think that elite performers need in order to succeed? And is humour a part of that? I think you have to be able to laugh at yourself because part of elite performance is, I don't like the word selfishness, but it's about, it's about um, really clear focused. If you laser focus on one thing, all your time and attention goes to achieving that thing, everything else will be not attended to. That would appear to be a selfish approach, but you don't get to the top of anything with any other approach, really. It, it is so demanding and it requires so much of you. Obviously, if you can laugh at yourself, 
whilst you have that approach that's extremely helpful you can be such an utter pain in the ass to everyone around you when you are an elite performer trying to put everything into one mission you can become really difficult to be around and unpleasant so maintaining humor being able to laugh at yourself and at what's going on is really important what part do you think humor plays in the resilience to become an elite performer as well i mean presumably you have to be incredibly resilient to get to the top level at anything well, you, of course you do. And that's about relentlessness. It's about being so fixed on that one thing that nothing will stand in your way, which means you've got to be prepared to knock every obstacle. You'll find a way around it, through it, under it, over it, whatever, because nothing will stand in your way. And in order to have that sort of discipline and relentlessness, you have to lighten that load with some humour, I think, and, and that ability to laugh and let off some steam because it's really intense. It's really heavy. And I think it would drag you, it has the potential to drag you down if you can't balance it with some, with some laughs and some funny stuff. Do you actually specifically train people you're working with, CEOs and everything, that they, they have to see the funny side at some level? I don't train anyone to do anything, actually. I, I challenge people to, to think. I don't say I teach. I don't say I train. I, I coach I encourage, I talk, I challenge other people with very difficult questions that perhaps nobody else has asked them or they don't, they're not feeling courageous enough to ask themselves. I think I, I don't particularly focus on building humour into their lives, but I do, I do challenge people to see the lighter side because, you know, for everything, you know, if you have a massive challenge or a massive setback, there is always a flip to everything. You know, it's not always just your perspective. There's other views on the same subject. So it's about shifting perspective, seeing the lighter side, seeing the opportunity in it, and, and perhaps seeing the humour in it too, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, humour is about shifting perspective, isn't it? It's, right. it's, it? it's seeing it from another angle. Yeah. So, Penny, what makes you laugh? I've been worrying about you asking me this question because I am not politically correct, and that has got me into trouble. So the stuff that makes me laugh shouldn't make me laugh, you know, if I'm being PC about it. So what makes me laugh is people falling over on the ice. <laughs> I can, I properly have to cross my legs. I can hardly get breath. People slipping and falling on the ice, hilarious. People who fall over on a beach and can't get up because the wave keeps knocking them down again. That's sort of, it's sort of a bit slapstick, but that kills me. And that's really a wicked sense of humour, isn't it? Because that, and it's not that I'm wishing badness on people. It's just that tickles my funny bone. What else makes me laugh? Um, <laughs> see, it just makes me laugh thinking about it. She'd better not here, but I, my, one of my daughters loves animals to pieces. And she rescued, she, as a kid, she used to rescue animals, but she did it really badly because she didn't really understand, you know, that you can't keep a beetle in a matchbox, it won't survive. So if she did that and it died, it would make me laugh because she was so committed to animals. But And I was like, you, you, you can't be committed unless you understand what's going on, obviously. It's, so that sort of thing makes me laugh. And I tell you what else makes me laugh is man, man women jokes, gender stuff. Again, you have to be so careful what you say, but... I, I've been married a couple of times, divorced a couple of times. I'm not very good at relationships. So I quite like taking the mickey out for myself and men and driving and all that stuff makes me laugh. I just have to be super careful these days because I can 
everyone can be offended. And I see, I'm not offended by anything really. So I forget that other people get offended. So I have to walk a, a little bit on thin ice and that's a shame, isn't it? Well, if you're walking on that thin ice, it could be a hilarious moment for you it, it as you're falling. Slipping all over the place. You see, I, I run every day. I, I fell over the other day and it's quite, when you fall over as a grown up, it's, it's not, but I fell over in all the mud and I'm laughing thinking, this is so funny. And that makes me laugh. And when my other, the daughter that I was just referring to, she runs with me. Sometimes she falls over. And instead of being the proper natural nurturing mother going to pick her up, I just stand there laughing at her too. So it's, it's bad, isn't it? Because everything I'm describing sounds like it's everyone's misfortune that I'm laughing at. It just, just, just makes me laugh. But it is, it's inherent in human nature. I work a lot in Germany and you seem to have a very Germanic sense of humour because they, they're always talking about a fat man falling over. You know? Are they? Are they? Yeah. Well, otherwise, the people I'm hanging around with and everything, but there, there seems to be, but that physicality. And actually, as a psychologist, it makes sense because you are very kinesthetic. And so when you see something that physical that happens, it has that, that automatic effect on your psyche, I would say. Yeah, but that makes me sound like a really bad person, doesn't it? I'm no. just being honest, but it no. does make it makes me feel a bit bad. But hold on, Laurel and Hardy and Buster Keaton were all built on this, uh, these sight gags as well, which yes, is what I you're talking so, about. But, but interestingly, I've never found that sort of stuff funny. It's too, I don't know. You want I real people to fall over and get I hurt, do. Penny. I do, yeah, <laughs> I do. The, the, oh, God, this is such going to be such a bad interview because it makes me sound so awful. But I do. I just I don't like set up stuff. So some of the, you know, the slapsticky stuff on what's that show where every, it's just lots of clips of people. You've been framed. Some of that really makes me laugh. But that's a TV show. It obviously makes lots of people laugh. So maybe I'm not so odd. No, you're not odd at all, because it was one of the most popular formats in the world for about 20 years. So yeah. you're not odd, Penny. Okay. It's a, okay. Whatever okay. makes you laugh, makes you laugh. <laughs> Talking of which, tell me a, a true funny story about something that's mm. happened to you. All my funny stories are just embarrassing ones. So one particular, this is, <laughs> oh God, I'm going to really regret saying this. <laughs> I was filming... <laughs> I was filming Driven, which was a car show on Channel 4 many years ago, with Mike Brewer at Jason Plato. Every day was the funniest, funniest day of my life. I never laughed so much making Driven. It was hilarious. Mike Brewer is, or certainly was, the funniest man. And the two of them together, was it was just pure comedy the whole time. We were filming in a car park one particular day, and I went to the loo. And when I came back out of the pub, um, some my cameraman said... Um, you might want to look behind you. And I had a trail of loo roll coming out the back of my jeans. <laughs> so those sort of things I think are really funny. And that's just, it's embarrassing, of course. Um, but that's the sort of thing I find funny. Oh, and, 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 I've, and I've met a guy in a pub on a blind date with my skirt tucked in my knickers at the back, stood at the bar, stuff like that. Just rubbish. How did that date go? He, somebody pointed it out before he walked in, thank the Lord. Oh. I was so flustered and blushing. He must have thought I, that's what I was normally like. That, that didn't go enormously well, as I recall. But yeah, oh, just it's that's just sort of humiliation thing that I can laugh at. But well, my, honestly, that, yeah. Mike and Jason, if, if 
I have been so lucky, so blessed. So when I did Driven, honestly, every day, my face was aching from laughing because they were just bouncing off it with the three, you know, three of us were just such, it was just a funny team. It was just all built on, on laughter. And you're making me realize now the importance of laughter because that job was relentless, just filming day in, day out, month in, month out. You don't stop. It's long hours. If you can't laugh, you can't do that job. It's impossible. So that's, yeah, I've never really reflected on that until this very moment, but that's probably why the show was a big success as well, because we were having such a good time. There's a saying in psychology that if you want anybody to go into any uh, any state, you have to go into that state first. It really is, uh, you know, you change other people's state. But think, so you, you say about it being successful, the whole humorology project is about people understanding that things can become much more successful if you have a lightness, if you have humour in there. And you've just given a perfect example with Driven. Yeah. And that obviously came across to people at home as well. Well, I guess it did. You know, in hindsight, we probably, just like everything, you know, you think, oh, could have done that so much better now. But we were having a genuinely fantastic time. We were three genuinely good friends. And the same, you know, every show I've done, actually, I've worked with some really cool people who make me laugh. And that definitely, definitely makes an impact. And actually looking back at the shows where there wasn't that chemistry between me and the co-host or whatever, actually, probably the quality of the show is less because we had less less lightness, less laughter, less connection. I think that's completely true. And I think that's a, a takeaway for everybody listening to this is to understand that if you create an aura of laughter and of lightness in your company, this comes across and biz more business comes. Absolutely. And of course, who isn't drawn to someone funny? You know, I don't want to sit around with miserable people. I want to sit around with people that that make me have to cross my legs so that I don't wet myself. And I just want, to, everyone's drawn to funny people, aren't they? It's it's a really important quality. Why do you think that is? Because, I, I mean, it is, I think, universally true. But why well, do you think it's true? I'm just guessing it changes your state, physiology. You know, the chemical balance changes, I'm guessing. When, you, you get when you're neurochemicals in your brain as a result of laughter. So it, it's it's feel good, basically. You have the right. feel good factor and it pervades uh, to other people. So it's it's basically drug addiction. Yeah. On some level, you are addicted to being it. So you are if you are funny and if you make other people laugh and you make other people smile, people will keep on wanting to come back for more. Exactly that. And if you think about, you're probably much better at relationships now because most people are. But if I look back on the relationships that were really successful, it was the ones that, you know, they might have ended, but they were the, the, the ones I look back on really favourably are the one when I was with somebody who just made me laugh. And the ones that didn't make me laugh was really hard work. Yeah, it's so important. So important. It's, it's a release valve as well. I mean, do you think everyone has the potential to be funny or do you think it's 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 something that only the elite have? No, not at all. Everyone has the potential to be funny. It's just that if you're taking life too seriously, then it's only because you... you I'm, I'm thinking of some kind of water level here you know you can take life too seriously you doesn't give any space for joy and laughter so you've just got to learn or unlearn the seriousness and to 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 let the the lighter stuff take more space in your life 
I don't know, the last, this obviously last year and a half, whatever, it's just been so distressing for some people that, they, that there'll be an awful lot of people, I guess, really struggling to find the joy in anything right now because they've had such a diabolical time. But there will be funniness in it all. And I, I remember listening to an interview, I can't remember, with, with somebody, some actor or something, saying, you know, should some jokes, should some funny stuff be out of bounds? And they say, no, there's, there's, funny, there's funny in cancer, there's funny in death, there's funny in everything. And then, of course, you get to some real dodgy ground, you think, well, is there funny in that? But you can, I think you can find humour in almost everything. It's how it's put forward, if it's done with love. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes they're, they're, I, my background is the comedy store and uh, for 10, 12 years. So I've seen every level of comedy and I think everything can be laughed at. I completely agree. But some of us personally have things that we don't like yeah. or or aren't delivered to us in a way we think is acceptable. But I, I think you're quite right that everything can be funny on some level. Yeah. So taking that, what would the world be like without humour? I can't even imagine. That would, it would just be pretty poor, wouldn't it? It'd be really hard work. Everything would take longer. I, I don't even want to think about it. Don't even make me think about it because it's so, such an ugly thought, the world without humour. Don't, not even going to answer it, Paul. Don't want to go there. <laughs> well, that that's an answer in itself, Penny, to be yeah, honest with it's you. It's just too horrible a prospect, isn't it, really? Yeah. No, it is, and it's frightening. And it's not until somebody says that to you that you actually go, mm. oh, my God. Yeah. There is no way to diffuse any of this stuff. And it's very interesting that you said you spent the first 20 years being very serious. Yeah. You know, and now you see the value of it because, you know, unlike most people, you haven't had it for a period of uh, your life. So uh, probably it's it's even more bright, is it not for you? Well, I suppose so. The contrast is 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 there, isn't it? As a child, I, I didn't laugh at all. I didn't. I don't have any photographs of me being happy. They're all, as my ex would say, my resting bitch face. Um, I have a miserable face in all my childhood pictures because I was a really unhappy kid and then and then that becomes a kind of that's how I, that's how I am I'm a miserable person and it takes a little while to grow out of that skin and discover that there's another world out there and that's not you at all but yeah I definitely spent 20 years missing out on the prospect of seeing the funny side of stuff I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It must have been a protection mechanism on some level, mustn't it, of just protecting yourself from what was a cruel world to a child. Yeah, it was it was a bit of protecting myself probably, but also it was a practical thing. Like I don't have anywhere to live, so I have to go and find somewhere, and then that disappears, and you've got to find somewhere else, and it's it's relentless, it's boring, and it's depressing. But you know, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking, hang on a minute, there was a girl in in that hostel that we used to laugh, and I just um, you're making me think of things I've forgotten all about. I did, I did laugh, in those times. I'm quite cross with myself now for not realising that. But that's great that you actually recognise because there must have been little moments because yeah. I talk to people who've been in, in, in wars, you know, and they go, it's horrible, it's serious, but you need that sense of humour to be your shield at times yes. to, to get you through. Yes, and of course, you just now you're just opening up my mind to that now. So we have to do the whole interview again because I just remembered things that you've made me recall. Tell me, tell me something <laughs> that you recalled. Well, I'm I'm thinking of the the first time the hostel I ever stayed in. There was a lady called Michelle, and Michelle was funny. And I've just remembered this. <laughs> I've forgotten all about her till today. And we were both on our uppers, of course, but we used to we used to laugh, and we were very unlike each other. We were very you know, not similar types of people. I can't remember what we laughed about, Paul, but we did laugh. It's all coming back to me. Well, is that great yeah. that actually that the, the, it's triggered a good memory yeah. in the midst Absolutely. of all that darkness? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, oh, God, <laughs> pleasure at the Humorology podcast. <laughs> do, you, do you find yourself funny? Well, that's different to can I laugh at myself? I'm probably just not clever enough with words and my brain probably isn't sharp enough to come back with the funnies as quickly. You know, I, I'm really envious of people that can just, you know, in half a second come back with something brilliant. And I'm a bit slow on that stuff. I don't think I'm particularly funny, but I'm very good at laughing at myself. But I know they're different. Well, they are, but, but actually, it's funny, on part of the Humorology project, we don't say that everybody needs to be a gagster or a joker. Actually, some of the most valuable people in a setup are people who can laugh, who can laugh easily, who can laugh long, laugh loud, and make the atmosphere for everyone else. So it's kind of everybody needs an audience to an extent. Yeah. You talk about uh, when you are doing your uh, lectures and keynotes and things, you talk about the four C's, I know, as being the basis for everything, control, commitment, challenge, confidence. Would you consider a fifth C of comedy? <laughs> yes. 
Yes, absolutely. I'll have to do, redo all my graphics, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you're absolutely right. It should be on there, shouldn't it? Comedy. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Because actually the mental toughness thing, it, it is an element, of course, in your your you're responsible today for making me think about all sorts of things that I've not thought about before, but the humor and stuff, the spinning things around, the new perspectives, all of those things would encompass comedy and just the lighter side of stuff. So important actually that we do that, all of us. And it is part of building mental toughness, isn't it? I was going to say it's a huge part of building mental toughness, but then I would say that anyway, but yeah. wouldn't I? But it's <laughs> it surely has to be because if you can't see the humour in something, you are going to be dragged down by it. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, if we talk about control, I uh, worked with Sir Clive Woodward and he talks about controlling the controllables. But actually... Humour, I would say, is about understanding what is out of your control and being able to lighten it and laugh at it. Yes, which makes life more bearable apart from anything else, isn't it? Because, you know, none of us can control the weather today, but we can control how we manage the weather. So I can go out in the weather with wellies and an umbrella. If I fall over in the rain, it would be quite funny. Um, it will be quite funny. But you know that Billy, <laughs> Billy Connolly said uh, there, there's no such thing as bad weather, just the wrong clothes. Exactly. So it is about understanding what you can control, just not, not getting over overstressed about what you can't control. But, but what, of course, we all have more influence than we ever think we do have, even with the things we can't control. You can influence things more. You do have more control. You have all the, all the control of how you react to, to everything. So there's more there's more that can be controllable than first meets the eye. And your fourth C, I think it is, is, is confidence. Do you think that humour enhances confidence? Because I personally do. Well, you've been you've done the um, the comedy clubs, haven't you? And I I did a course. I'm going to regret admitting to this. I did a one day thing at the comedy store because I thought that of all the things, you know, that's most people's worst nightmare, isn't it? Standing on a stage trying to be funny. Just why would you do that to yourself? So I thought, so I must. So I so I did a thing, and I had more confidence than I thought I would have. And that's about having enough gags, enough stories, enough funnies sort of stored up. Well, humour and confidence, how interlinked are they? Oh, you see, I can think of instances of, of confident people who are really funny and people who lack confidence who are also really funny. So I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I think it shows confidence, to be honest with you. If you, if you can make people laugh, if you can laugh at yourself, I think if you can show a lightness, I think that is what people detect and go, she's confident in, enough to laugh at herself. Yes, but you see, in, in my own experience, so in the old days when we used to do live events with a live audience, my, one of the first things I would say on stage was I would tell a joke, and it was a joke about taking the mickey out of myself. So I, I drew it, strung it out a bit, and it, it always, always worked. It was always funny. It just doesn't work online. I haven't found a way to, to make it work virtually because there's no feedback you know, so really hard. So I lacked com I lack confidence in doing those gags online, but being able to have the confidence to take the Mickey out of yourself live in front of 
you know, hundreds or thousands of people is a useful thing. But I think the confidence has to be genuine and it can't be a pretend confidence because you can't pull it off properly then. So I really, really don't mind taking the mickey out of myself all day long. I, it makes me laugh that I can do that. Well, I'm and I like it. In- you you want to hear the joke? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you have to pay right. for that. <laughs> uh, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, book Penny Mallory yeah. to hear the gag. But I'm interested in the in in the fact that you think you have to be confident. I think you, I mean to an extent we can all create. Because is anybody truly a hundred percent confident? Well, I don't know because actually now you're saying that I'm thinking all the comedians are the ones that actually are dying inside aren't they this, or is this just a myth but they no. are they 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 might often lack real self-confidence in their you know in themselves so they put this cloak on and the mask and go on stage and be funny i think very many comedians are quite shy but you wouldn't know it as soon as they're thought. Actually, a lot of actors as well, and probably a, a, a lot of speakers as well. And I, yeah, but, and I would count myself as one of them. I'm, I'm a naturally shy person. Yeah, except nobody would say with your background of, of speaking, television, rally driving, that you didn't have confidence to put yourself forward. So it's kind of an anathema to say, you know, all these people are like that. It's, well, it's a true. trigger. It's a trigger and we all learn to do something and which is for our listeners very useful when they hear that somebody as successful as yourself is you consider intrinsically shy. But I bet as soon as your foot steps on the stage, you become that confident Penny Mallory, don't you? Yeah, you absolutely do. I'm, I'm worried, a little bit worried about my first live keynote, which will be in the next few months. My nerves because I've got really confident doing it from a screen on, you know, at my desk. And then, and, and so I will have some confidence issues, but I'm quite good. I've faced it enough times in my life to face, you know, the fear and do it anyway, all that stuff. So yeah, the minute I step onto stage, all that, and it's a bit like, you know, five, four, three, two, one, go, and you drop your, drop the clutch and go, you're on. You know, here's the performance and and you do have a whole new sort of persona and there's a lot of confidence attached to it. But, you know, confidence is really about, certainly in the terms of mental toughness, it's about an inner self-belief. I really believe I can. I can do this. I absolutely believe I can. You don't need to tell me I can. Nobody needs to tell me because I know it's about that real, true, no pretense. It's real, genuine confidence. And that is less prevalent than you might think so lots of people will put on a mask and put on a show but the really genuinely confident people have such a high level of belief in themselves and their ability it's a different type of confidence but that belief is born of you just touched on it with um you know i've done this i've done rally cars i've done live tv i've done uh, this isn't it born uh because i would say all my confidence is born of i've done other things that are hard i've come out of my comfort zone or whatever plenty of times before so you have a resource and that's where your belief system comes from well it does because just like anything <clears throat> you confidence is it's a concept isn't it you can't see it or feel it or touch it or smell it yeah. 
well, you can feel it, but you build it through experience. So, you know, I went, I trained to fight in a boxing ring when I was 42. You know, the first day of training, I was rubbish. 11 months later, a thousand hours later, I was better. I mean, I'm still not brilliant, but I was a thousand hours better and a thousand hours fitter. And I could get into the ring with some confidence because I'd worked really hard. I've put myself in lots of positions like this, whether it's climbing mountains or marathons or triathlons or whatever it is I've done. I, I always try to put myself on the edge of total and utter fear to sort of prove to myself that I can. And that builds confidence because you think, well, I've done that. So I can do this and this might, it's different, but I did that and I did that and I did that. So I do it. I do these things to build my confidence in myself because I think it, you just have a more successful, cheerful, optimistic life. If you're feeling in control, if you're feeling confident, it's just nicer. But but that is, that means that you have to push yourself to uh, the limits of your previous confidence because confidence grows yeah, so you have true. to go to the limits all the time and and for people yeah. listening all successful people are pushing their limits constantly and you know and and then having the ability to laugh at when it doesn't go a hundred percent but still move forward and i think the, the the laughing at it is part of the process whereby <laughs> you go that didn't work now, <laughs> but guess what? I'm going to give it another go. You know, I, well, I'm interested that you did boxing, you know. And... Well, the boxing thing was, I, I would say, is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because it's so frightening and you think you're going to die. And, you know, I got into the ring first time ever, age 42, and in the blue corner was Kirsty from Coventry. For, she was 21. She was half my age and she was built like you would expect a female boxer from Coventry. She was made of stone. She wanted to kill me, you know, ding, ding, round one. She lands a punch on me and I'm on the floor. And in a, in a funny way, you've made me think, I, I have a thousandth of a second to think about it while I'm down there, but I'm laughing at myself going, get up, you silly cow. This was not in the plan. Get a grip and get up and have a... So I did. God knows how short that moment of laughter was. Like, this is absolutely not okay. Get yourself up. And that's, you know, all that stuff builds resilience and discipline and, and brilliant, brilliant stuff that I can lean on for the rest of my life. Because exactly. it, it, it never gets that hard. Life doesn't get that hard when you're, you've got six minutes um, to stay alive. But it, it might as well be six hours because in the ring... The bell never rings. It goes to the Mike Tyson place of, of everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Talking about plans, if I asked you to write a business case for humour, what would you include in it? Um, happy people are more productive. Happy people are nice to be around. If you have people that are nice to be around, you're going to attract the best people around. So... You cannot dial it out of a business because you'll just dial any joy and, and actual talent. You know, really, the, the coolest people will want to succeed. And if there's no joy or humour in an environment, uh, they'll migrate to somewhere where there is. So I would say the business case for humour is 
overwhelming. I think you've touched on the return on investment as well. You keep yeah. the, the cool, creative people because of the environment you've created. I think people are beginning to realise more and more since we haven't spent time together, how important it is that, you know, how much we do feed off each other. We need each other. We need the physical physicality of being with each other. It's more than just a social thing. There is so much I think we've taken for granted all of our lives that we need from each other and humour will be one of them. And it's, and it's really, I find much more challenging to do online. You can still do it. You can still have a laugh, but it's not quite the same as getting that. You know, you can actually, you can actually get a real energy from people that I don't think you can online. And that energy, part of that will be the humour and the comedy and the, the laughs. And we, every, every one of us needs more of that back, don't we? Absolutely. Have you ever taken a joke too far and crossed the line? Yeah, I can probably. see from your face. <laughs> but you see, I find that funny. Yeah. I, I, I would get quite a lot of joy in pushing everything over the line because I would get a, a bit of a sick pleasure in seeing the looks on people's faces. So I'm much more careful now than I've ever been. But it's not because I want to be, it's because I have to be. I don't want to get into trouble and I don't want to upset anyone. But you see, because I'm not offended, I, I forget that other people do get offended by stuff. So I've, I've quite often taken jokes too far. I think when I first started speaking, maybe 15 years ago, I would just die a thousand deaths if I saw now what I was saying. Well, you see, I quite like rude stuff as well. I like all the below the belt stuff. I like all the stuff you're not meant to like. Yeah. That's what makes me... So it's really boring having to be careful about what you say. I really hate that about these times, just having to yeah, tiptoe through the minefield that is jokes and humour. I, I, I take most things too far, if I'm honest, given the choice, given the chance. Good. That's probably why you're fun to be around, Penny. Well, uh, <laughs> you'd have to ask my friends that. But <laughs> um, that, yeah, I think that I think I've just realised that, actually, as we're talking, that part of... Part of me is always pushing everything a little bit too far because <laughs> well, I like it. Because you like it. Good. That's good. We now come to the part of the show called Quick Fire Questions. Quick Fire Questions. Who's the funniest person in business that you've met? Uh, well, I would have to say right now, Jason Dore, because I worked with him the other day. And if that's business, then, you know, we were filming something together. He's very funny. I like him very, very much. And what makes him so funny? He's always smiling. He's always upbeat. He's always, and he's really quick-witted. He can just, yeah, he's quicker than I am. He's just sharp and smart. I like smart people. Smart and funny. Wow, what a combination. I think we've, we've seen who you want on your dating profile. <laughs> yeah. What book makes you laugh, Penny? I once bought a book when I first started speaking because I wanted some funny stuff that I could rewrite and twist and put in my speech. And it's, it is properly funny. It's about, it's about jokes. It's a joke book. It's, um, is it after dinner speeches or best man speeches or something? But some of it's utter rubbish, of course. There's, oh my God, but hang on, what else did make me laugh? 
I listen to audio books now because I've got contact lens glasses nonsense going on. So I listen to audio books and most of the stuff I'm into is crime and murder and real life stories. So that's not, they don't really make you laugh. Anything that's true, a true story. I'll tell you what, Eddie Izzard's book made me laugh. Believe. He's a funny guy. Uh, yeah. Eddie's, uh, I worked with Eddie for many years and I uh, still Did know you? Eddie. Well, I'm so, yeah. so jealous. I love him. Oh, I, well, I find him very funny. All right. Well, I'll tell him. I'll, I'll actually clip this and send it to him <laughs> and, and say, Penny Mallory loves you. Yeah. And do you know why else I love him? Because he runs a thousand marathons in a row and doesn't make a big deal of it. He just gets on with it. And his resilience is extraordinary he doesn't give up he's relentless i love him for so many reasons i mean he is the most uh, sort of tunnel visioned relentless extraordinary person i've ever met in my life when he decides to do something he just gets on with it we were in new york together a few years ago and i was training to do my first marathon and i'd been training for five months and he said, I'm doing my first marathon. And I said, when did you start training? He goes, I haven't started training yet. When, <laughs> when are you doing it? In three weeks. And it was kind of like, and I was like, man, but guess what? I think he did sort of six on the trot or something. Yeah, he is unbelievable. And really he should, he should speak more about his mindset and because there'd be so much people could get from it how what 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 is what are his strategies how does he do it what goes through his head how does he pick himself up keep going well, well i'm very lucky to have spent time with him talking about this stuff so uh you know, one day That's hopefully very... we'll do it on film talk about film what film makes you laugh well i would say my mind goes straight more to tv than to film is that okay it's fine this country makes me laugh <laughs> Do you, know the, do you know the one? Yeah. yeah. Gavin Estacey makes me laugh. Benidorm makes me laugh. So I don't know what genre and category you would put that in. I mean, it's quite sitcom-y, but with a twist, isn't it? Yes. I'm, I'm not big on sitcoms, but th I can see that those three things I've said you could probably put in that category. I don't know. I don't really know how to, to put it in a nutshell what it is about those that makes me laugh. Because some of them are, it's, I mean, Benidorm is is really funny but then I know somebody who thinks Benidorm is the unfunniest thing ever made. What word makes you laugh Penny? Uh, well buttocks is the one that strings to mind I don't know why. Fart is a funny word and all all the all the naughty rude body parts you know they make me laugh. Buttocks is number one. I think that's the one that sprang to mind for some reason <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> We, we had a long conversation earlier on about uh, that you think anything's funny. Is there any areas that make you feel slightly uncomfortable or something that's not funny? Yeah, there would be a few areas where I would, but not from my own perspective, I would just be mindful of other people. But there are certain things that, certain experiences people might have, you know, really traumatic stuff that, you know, I would understand if they'd say that it's not funny. But I tell you what I find deeply unfunny is, is sarcasm, because I really do think it's the lowest form and lazy humour is such a lazy way to try and be funny. Ask me who invented sarcasm, Penny. Who invented sarcasm, Paul? I did. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it can be funny if it's done well, but the people that tend to use it are the people that are copping out from being a bit sharper and wittier in my book. So it could be sarcasm used well could work, but 
generally speaking, I, I, I'm, I have a very poor view of it. Although my nickname at school was sarcastic. So obviously I'm I'm calling the kettle the pot black or whatever the expression is. Ket pot calling kettle, the kettle black. Pot calling the kettle black, thank you. Would you rather be considered clever or funny? Could you, could you tell me what your answer to that would be? It's not my interview, but I'm happy to, to share. I actually think that uh, in, in order to be funny, you have to be clever. You just talked about Jason, who you worked with, um, that he was funny and clever and quick as well. And you like that combination. I think people can be clever in specific areas, i.e. maths or anything without being funny. But overall clever, I think, is where you have to be to be funny. You have to get it. You have to be emotionally intelligent. Yes. OK. I, well, I, I'm glad you... Yeah, I agree with you. I think you've got to be clever first. So I'm going to go for clever. Final answer. <laughs> Let's see if it turns green. And finally, Penny, we always end on desert island <laughs> gags. You can only take one joke with you to a desert island. What is it? This will be the gag that everyone says, oh, for Christ's sake, not that one. It's not funny. Two peanuts walk into a bar. One was assaulted. <laughs> see? You see? Yeah. It's, it's, it's getting a laugh out of me. And, <laughs> and, and there's going to be a few moans, but there, there's those kind of gags which people moan, then laugh and then tell it to their friends yeah, tomorrow. Correct. correct. Exactly. Penny Mallory, you've been humorous and wonderful. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Humorology Podcast. And Paul, thank you for having me. But also, can, you, can I... Properly, thank you for reigniting some memories that I haven't had for many, many, many years. It's our pleasure. The Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.